Good morning, everyone. It's good to be together and to have the opportunity to share God's word with one another. If you're visiting for the first time with us today, we're thrilled that you're here. And if you're a regular here and you might just not know what we're talking about these days, we are in week two of a series that we are calling Everyday Christianity. And every week we stand up here and we sing songs and we pray prayers and we preach sermons about great things that we want to be about once we leave this place. And I don't know about you, but usually all my good intentions and the things that I've said, yes, I want to try to do that are pretty much gone by the time I get to the parking lot. (laughs) And by the time I get home, I've almost completely forgotten what it was I was committed to try to change in my life. And so we wanted to just have a real conversation over a couple weeks about what faith looks like Monday through Saturday. How do we live the things of God in between Sundays? And as a preaching team, we thought we would pick everyday objects and items instead of trying to force something new into our lives because, you know, all of us have so much free time, right, to shove something new in our lives. We thought, why don't we just make sure we're present to God and present to one another in the places where we already dwell? And so last week, Mike Murphy talked about what it looks like to live every day for God around the table, around the dinner table, the boardroom table, the cafeteria lunchroom table at school, maybe a table that you call a desk. And today we're going to talk about what it looks like to live a life of faith in front of a screen. How many of you have a smartphone, right? We are in an era of history with unprecedented technological advances. Most of us spend hours upon hours upon hours of our day in front of screens. And you know what? Here's the thing. There wasn't a passage in the Bible about tech and about our use of screens. Uh, Jesus, we're not sure whether he would have had the iPhone or an Android, if he would have been a Mac user or a PC user, if he would have binge watched Game of Thrones on Netflix, if he would have had a membership to Amazon Prime. We don't know these things. And there is not a Greek word or a Hebrew word for internet or email. And so at first, when we come to this conversation, it can be tempting to go, you know what? 2,000 years ago, nobody could have predicted this. Uh, It's kind of the Wild West. We'll figure it out as we go along. The reality is God predicted this. (laughs) And all of us live at the exact moment in human history that God decided we get to live in. And we live in one of the most exciting and challenging times in human history. We are in the era of unprecedented technological advance. So while God may not have told us what to do with email, he has given us clear instructions on the kind of people we are to be about and the ways we approach the technology and the screens that are increasingly and ever present in our lives. You know, to illustrate sort of the massive changes that have happened in human history, according to the Oxford Dictionary, the 2015 word of the year was not a word. It was an emoji. Tears of joy. Uh, I confess that when the tears of joy emoji came out, I thought it was 
sadness. And so I would text this to people and they'd be like, why are you mad? And I'm like, or why are you happy? And I'd be like, no, I'm sad, right? It gets confusing. Technology can get confusing. And a symbol is now the word of the year. Like, let that settle in. No letters, a symbol that represents something. There is not yet a real primer for this. A lot of us are making up surviving our tech culture, our digital media culture as we go along. I mean, how many of you wish sometimes there was a simple primer on something like email? Have you ever sat in front of your screen wondering, well, how formal or informal do I come across when I greet somebody with an email? Do I say, hey, or hello, or dear sir, or madam? How many of you have ever wondered, well, how long do I wait after getting an email before I respond to it? Or you've been in the anguish of having sent an email and then you're waiting for a response and you're like, did it go to their spam filter? Do I, do I, do I email them again? Do I text them to follow up with the email? Sometimes education or career is in the balance of an email. And how many of us have ever accidentally replied to all? Yeah. I know, right? I did this with my husband once about two years ago. My son, my oldest son was on a little league team and the coach was making this really big deal about a game that I confess I didn't think was really a big deal. And I wanted to sneak off for the weekend with my kids to my parents' lake house up in Wisconsin and go water skiing and tubing and kind of forget about baseball. And I had meant to forward it to my husband to say, basically, we are ditching this game. But I replied to all. <laughs> and I was like, hey, baby, let's skip the game. And the coach was like, oh, no, no, no. And it was just this horrifying moment, right? We actually, we stayed back and played the game, <laughs> right? Or how about, how many of you have ever been tripped up by the autocorrect? Yeah. And you read back through, you're like, no, no, that's not what I meant to say. Right? And this is just email. How much time do we spend in front of the screen? What's the right amount of time? For a two-year-old, a five-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 200-year-old. How does that work? We have numerous screens in our lives. Research suggests the average American home has between five and ten screens. And the average home size is about three people. So clearly you can increase that as the number of people in your home increases. In our home, we have two TVs, four laptops, three phones, two iPads, one iPod, and a Kindle that we haven't seen for two years. I have no idea where it is, but we have a Kindle. How do we, how do we live with this stuff for the glory of God? Because we want to be about the things of God. And what we don't want to do is consistently lament the culture around us and that someone was looking at their phone instead of looking at us. And that is all stuff that can be worth angsting about. But what does God actually say about our culture? And what we're talking about today, simply put, is called digital media. Digital media is anything we're consuming on a device, it's texts and graphics and audio and visual and email. That's digital media. And it comes to us now through our screens. And so what do we do with our screens? Because the m information we're getting can be confusing. Or the information we're receiving can provide great clarity. We all know it can be harmful 
and addictive, or we can find great healing and hope with communities of people in an online forum that we may never have met otherwise. It can be used as a weapon. It can be used to train up and educate terrorists. And it can be used to propagate peace. It can be anxiety-provoking or calming. You can download scripture and devotionals and music that brings peace and calm to you. It can make us feel completely in the know, like we are up on the latest trend. Or if we've missed that trend, we might walk off from our screens feeling completely useless and irrelevant. It can help us be present to places that we may never have been present before. Ask anyone who has a mother or a father or a child serving in the U.S. military how much Skype means to them. It can also remove our presence from people we are physically present with. We can be charitable and generous. We can be greedy and ravenous consumers on a screen. And friends, it can possibly be the greatest tool for evangelism that human history has ever been privy to. But I submit to you that our screens cannot be neutral. They are harnessed for the good and for the glory of God or the productivity or generosity of the people we are with, or they are harnessed for ill. But if we dare to kick back and think, we'll just figure this out someday, or it really doesn't matter how much time I'm in front of that particular topic or with those particular people, if we just sit back and blow that off, we will slip into some habits and some patterns that I know do not glorify God and bring us more deeply into his presence. And like I said, there is not a book of the internet in our scriptures, but the apostle Paul wrote a great letter to the house church at Colossae about 2000 years ago. And that handwritten letter was penned by Paul from a Roman prison and it traveled without automobile, email, or anything else, 2,000 miles to the peninsula of Asia Minor to the house church at Colossae. And that church was struggling with heresy. There were false teachings that had cropped up in that church. It was a group of non-Jewish Gentile believers who had sort of gone off in a variety of different directions. And we're trying to advocate for and advance a lot of wild ideas and thoughts that didn't necessarily line up with God. And so to Paul, to that church, Paul says this, and I'm going to read to us the entire chapter three. If you have your device with you, feel free to flip that open. It's obviously on our screens up front, but feel free to look up your scripture on your phone if that's helpful to you. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, 
sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, rage, anger, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, maybe by making your life look better than it is on Facebook. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator, here in the community of God, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all, which is to say we are one body of connected people. So therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is what Paul says we should do. Let's clothe ourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, don't send an anonymous nasty email. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And lastly, he says this, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whatever screen you're in front of, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it applied to a community of faith 2,000 years ago, dealing with the intricacies of their culture and their era in history. These words of Paul, these words of God through Paul applied then and they apply to us now. Do you see the instruction that was in there and how we are to navigate our screened in culture? And some of us lament the technology, understandably. Some of us rejoice in it and are celebrating it. Others say, why do I care what everybody had for breakfast? Why do I need to know these things? It's helpful to remember that every person engages and interacts with digital media in a different way. Josh Rose writes for Mashable, and he shares the story about how his 10-year-old son texted him one morning to tell him, I had bacon for breakfast, Dad. And Josh and his wife are separated, and Josh does not see his son every day. And so he says this, the amount of calming satisfaction it gives me to be able to communicate with my son through technology is undeniably palpable and human. It's the other side of the I don't care what you ate for breakfast this morning argument against the mundane broadcasting of social media. In this case, I absolutely care about this. I'd listen to him describe a piece of bacon and hang on every word. Is it better than a conversation with, quote, real words? No. But it is better than waiting two more days when the mundane moment that I long to hear about so much is gone. Yes, I guess one man's TMI 
is another man's treasure. How we engage with digital media largely depends on the experiences we're having. And one of the pitfalls of our current culture is to sort of make assumptions or arguments against another for their perceived use or overuse of technology, which is not to say we don't overuse it. Trust me, we do. But I crowdsourced some comments on this. I realized the irony here. I went to social media to ask people about social media. So clearly anybody who saw it was already on social media. But on my Facebook page, I asked the question about whether this is good or this is bad. What is, what is the experience you're having? What is God doing in your life through your use of digital media? And these are some of the responses. One woman said, it is possible to have a million friends and be very alone at the same time. Another said, I'm in touch better with my kids in their colleges and cousins who live out of state. Another person said, this technology helps me connect in ways I never could have, but it distracts me in ways that I never should be. When commenting on all of the political arguing that is happening in our culture right now, one person wrote, I have found myself asking, who are these people and why are we friends? And then I click unfollow, she said. Another person wrote, I have a bit of a unique perspective. Without screens and technology, our son would not have ways to express himself beyond yes and no questions. He uses a communication device similar to Stephen Hawking. Without computers, he couldn't write or demonstrate what he knows at school. He cannot access many of the toys and games others can, but the playing field level levels a bit when he's playing video games, which made me wonder, is it always bad when my 12-and-a-half-year-old is playing his video games? He will soon be able to control his environment through his communication device, turning on and off the lights or the TV or his own music, and none of this would have been possible otherwise. We are so grateful for the screens and the technology in our lives. And my dad is 68 years old, and he gets frustrated with his technology sometimes. My mom is the same age, and she can use hers beautifully. My dad often will want to throw his iPhone against the wall, and he says to me, two cans and a string, two cans and a string. Can we please go back to two cans and a string? <laughs> Here's the interesting thing about my dad. He also, I kid you not, won a global Angry Birds championship. <laughs> okay, right? We are, con oh, that was my ring. I'll find that later. We are conflicted about this, right? Josh Rose says this, the internet does not steal our humanity. It reflects it. The internet does not get inside of us. It shows what is inside of us. And social media isn't cold or complex. It's hard to define. Think for a moment again, taking all that into consideration about the punch list that Paul gave us. Put to death, therefore, whatever brings you to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Rid yourself of anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. Do not lie to each other. You've taken off your old self, so put on the new self and be renewed. And clothe yourself 
with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive one another, bear with one another. Forgive as God forgave you. You know, the anonymity the technology offers makes it easier to dismiss one another. That is a danger, I think. So be a people who still proactively seeks forgiveness and engagement and above all these virtues, put on love. Or as Jesus so brilliantly summed it up, again, not specifically about digital media, but it sure does apply. When asked, what is the greatest commandment? What do you want from me, Jesus? I am willing to follow you. Just what am I supposed to do? And he says, this is it. I'm going to sum it up for you real quick. The most important commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second commandment is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Does your use of technology help you live out the commandments of Jesus. And only you can answer that for yourself. But wherever it does, keep chasing in that direction. And wherever it doesn't, whenever you find yourself tripped up by some of the places that Paul tells us we get tripped up, check yourself and pull back and ask yourself, what am I doing on this device for this long with that conversation, arguing with that person, looking at that particular content. Ask yourself that question and lay it before God. Lay it before God. Redeem the everyday routine of engaging with your screens. Jesus was a master at redeeming the routines. The first miracle that he performed, he's Jesus, right? He could have gone up to the top of Everest and called down a fireworks show and lightning bolts and had angels flying around. He could have done anything. You know what he did? He showed up in a little village called Cana and he went to an everyday ordinary wedding And they ran out of wine at the wedding. And what they usually did was save the worst wine for the end of the party. So everybody was too drunk to realize they were drinking bad wine and even ran out of that wine. And Jesus turned gallons upon gallons of water into wine. And he redeemed an ordinary moment to the glory of God. When he appeared to his disciples after he came back, of all the possible ways he could have chosen to break bread and have a meal with them and a a five-course banquet. I don't know what it is. You know what he did? He had breakfast on the beach with them. Breakfast. That was the meal he chose, the average ordinary art of starting your day with some food in your belly. Jesus redeemed the ordinary. And this is what we are called to do with our technology and our devices Let God redeem the everyday moment of flipping open the laptop or the phone or whatever it is and let God redeem it. How do we do this? I would be remiss if I stopped here and sent you all out and said, okay, now go figure it out for yourselves. And to be honest, most of us have to figure out the exact way we live this out for ourselves because we all have different devices and different temptations. 
But very, very quickly, as I close here, I want to give you three quick things to consider, to roll around in your brain to maybe write down. If you need to text them to yourself right now or take notes in your phone, you can do that. It's okay to take your technology out, especially during the text sermon, okay? Commentators and theologians for centuries have tried to explain the nature of God. And they've used all sorts of words to do this. There are three words that a lot of theologians have settled on that I think are helpful for us. And there are the ideas that God is omnipresent, which is to say God is everywhere. God is omniscient, which is to say he is all knowing and God is omnipotent. He is all powerful. God, God, the creator of the universe, the creator of us, God is all three of these things. When you sit down with your technology, when I sit down with my technology, we have to remember we are not these things. We are not these things. I cannot be omnipresent. I should not be everywhere. I could not possibly be on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest. The day I started on Pinterest, I almost passed out. I had to just shut the laptop. I'm not, I can't, I can't. Some of you are Pinterest fiends. Yay, you. I know, right? And I have to resist the temptation of trying to prove to everybody that I have achieved something or I've had some fun moment that they haven't had. You know, and I enjoy posting stuff on Facebook. It's fun. And it helps my out-of-state family. It just, it's just, it's good. I think we, none of us can be everywhere and on every device, and nor should we be. And there are some things that are worth tweeting out to the world, and there are other things just everybody really just doesn't need to know. <laughs> and so just limit yourself. You are not God. You cannot be present everywhere. So choose wisely where you choose to be present in your digital media and in your physical person as well. Second, cannot know everything. There is not an end to the internet as far as I have found it thus far. You can rabbit way, rabbit hole your way all the way through. You can, it just, it doesn't end as far as I can tell. You will not exhaust the research ever on certain topics. I have a colleague who confessed to spending like five hours one day just trying to find a great fishing spot. Sometimes that's okay, and sometimes you just need to shut the laptop and go for a walk or talk to a real person. You're you're not going to know everything. And the temptation that digital media gives to us is that you can't actually know everything. And you can post on Wikipedia. You could do whatever you want. No, you don't know everything, and you never will. So sometimes just take a break and back off. Because sometimes that's just the right thing to do. And lastly, we are not all powerful. God is the one who changes hearts and minds. And sometimes if we're lucky, he uses us to do it. But I don't know if he does it while we are angry and slandering each other on digital media. And there is a real temptation to say, my view My theology, my understanding of God is right, and the rest of you are idiots. And I know we don't do this, but we all know people who do, right? Have you ever flipped open your technology and gone, wow, that person's awfully angry for a Christ follower? Okay? We have to rein that in. Eric Camfield calls these people screen snipers because they just steal a little bit of your joy. And sometimes they're anonymous, 
And that just makes it all the more frustrating, I think. So you cannot have the power to change the whole world. That's God's job. You cannot know everything. That's God's job. And you can't be present everywhere. That's God's job too. So consider those three things this week. You sit down and you flip open whatever device you have. Wonder for a minute, is what I'm about to participate in, watch, engage in, respond to, send, text, is it helpful? Is it necessary? Is it for the glory of God? And if not, maybe I just close it up or click on something different. (laughs) Ephesians 5, I'll leave you with this, another word from Paul. Be very careful then, Paul says, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. There has been darkness and evil since we grabbed the apple in the garden. But there is the opportunity to be wise and to make the most of the opportunities that God has given this group of people at this time in history. The power that is literally at our fingertips is almost unimaginable. So friends, let us harness it for the good and for the glory of God so that we can be careful and wise as we live. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of technology. More than that, Lord, we thank you for the gift of discernment and wisdom that you bestowed upon your people long before the technology that we are used to today ever existed. Lord, let us remember that you transcend time and culture and generations, and so the words of your scriptures hold so true for us today. We are to live wise. We are to watch our thoughts and our actions, and we are to be people of peace who are clothed with compassion and kindness. God, let's take that seriously. Equip us this week to make wise decisions to nudge one another when we may sense that they need to make a wiser decision. And let us harness the little devices that sit so neatly in our palms for the goodness and the glory of your kingdom now and forever. Amen.